0: You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church.
1: You can start the podcast if you want. We're recording. I'm going to
2: start the podcast. Go ahead
1: and start. I'm going to get some water.
2: Yeah. No, Brad, fine. keep all this. This <laughs> is okay, real well, good you and stuff. I have, here. You and I can the start The listeners talking. tune in for this kind of real hard-hitting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> This is Kyle and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin. And unfortunately, JT English has left the recording for the moment. Jen, what are your top three theories on where JT has gone? Uh,
0: JT has gone to work out. Okay. JT has gone to stare at the mountains and think how glad he is that he doesn't live in Texas. JT has gone to set up a booby trap of some sort for a fellow staff member. So that they will not trust you. All three Those are, are true, all.
1: but I set up, I set up booby traps so that you trust me. It's a oh, reverse yeah. psychology
2: kind <laughs> of thing. Yeah, I don't think that's how it works. Um, well, uh, today, what we have for you is the doctrine of union with Christ. But before we get there. I do want us to talk a little bit about something that Crossway is doing that's pretty cool. Crossway uh, is excited to invite churches and small group leaders in the U.S. to request 52 free copies of Jen Wilkins' book, Women of the Word, while supplies last. Ministry leaders are invited to apply for free copies of the book for their church with the intention of helping women in their congregation read and discuss the book together. To request 52 free copies of Women of the Word for your church, simply fill out the application form that's linked in the show notes or visit crossway.org slash women of the word. There it is. So I, Hi, you know I what? That's I really so work hard, but uh, that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about the doctrine of union with Christ. And the reason we're doing that is that this season, in conjunction with kind of looking back over 10 seasons and talking about some of our animating values and principles as a partnership team of friends, we're also exploring the doctrine of salvation. Today, we consider the doctrine of Of union with Christ. And so we've talked about this before. Listeners of the show know that I am always eager to take us there. This is uh, the thing that I'm always trying to get us to. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be talking about this today. Let's just start real high level. Doctrine of union with Christ. What is it?
1: Being one with Christ. Okay. 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 Kyle, yeah. this is one of those episodes. You know, really, that, like, I'm so excited. I, this
0: is such an important. We need to topic. ask Kyle the questions. Why is Kyle asking us the Great. questions? You guys, That's like fake. You guys, you guys do it. Go, f- go ahead. Pitch it to him, JT. Pitch it to him. I'm ready, Kyle. What is the?
1: Give me a pitch for the most important doctrine for understanding what Christ <laughs> by His Spirit accomplished in his cross wow. death <laughs> burial resurrection and ascension mm, give me the yeah. most important topic and why it's most important
2: okay so you want me to give you the definition or why i think no, it's no what's
1: the most important topic is it justification by faith
2: is it no, sanctification
1: is no, it forgiveness when we come, of sins is it eternal life we, what's the most
2: important category when we come to salvation the doctrine of salvation the most important topic is union with Christ.
0: I don't believe you, Kyle. Convince me.
2: Well, okay. I'll convince you. Everything, all of the the saving benefits of God are only received in Jesus Christ. There are no saving benefits that we can receive outside of Christ Jesus. Our salvation is in our Savior. And if we are to be saved, we must be in our Savior to receive every benefit of salvation that God has graciously provided. This includes uh, election, regeneration, the effectual call, the receiving of righteousness and justification, uh, the the work of sanctification and the work of glorification—all of these things are glorious saving benefits of God, and we cannot receive them anywhere else but in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, if you don't, if you if you are not brought into union with Christ, there is no salvation. Full stop. That's why it's the most important one. You can either see it as the foundation of all other saving benefits, the home of all other saving benefits, the banner under which all other saving benefits are applied. But the doctrine of union with Christ is uh, the doctrine by which we understand how salvation is applied, where salvation is applied. So,
1: so a few diagnostic questions.
2: Yeah, yeah. maybe to help
1: help help people. Is there forgiveness of sin? outside of christ no
2: there's not forgiveness of sin is there
1: justification in a declaration of righteousness outside of christ no is there holiness and a sanctified living empowered by the spirit outside of christ no is there glorification outside of christ no is there eternal life outside of christ no where are those things found
2: they're all found in Christ Jesus
1: and the most important word you just use is in him and like that that that's the word like the in the, him is certainly important but in like so I was trying to use this outside to create a contrast of like if you're looking for those things anywhere outside of Christ it's not available. Why does Paul or the New Testament continually use that very small preposition of in? Maybe the most significant, one of the most significant words in the New Testament.
2: Yeah. Why does it use that word? Uh, well, I think or, the or, reason. Or how why. does
1: it use it? Like, t- be talk sure. to us about what it means to be in.
2: Well, well, one, I think that the why Paul uses it is tied to Paul's actual salvation story itself in Acts. And I've done this many times, and I'll save us from the whole of it. But I, uh, Paul, when Saul is converted on the road to Damascus, in his actual conversion story itself is the doctrine of union with Christ. When Jesus uh, in, uh, confronts Saul on the road, what does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when, G- and when Saul inquires as to wait, what are you talking about, he goes, you know, who are you? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What is that there? It Saul is not on the road to Damascus to persecute the risen Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh in Damascus. The risen Lord Jesus Christ isn't in the flesh in Damascus. He's at the right hand of God the Father. But Jesus Christ so identifies with his people that he can tell Saul to persecute them is to persecute me. So from even the historical point, Saul is realizing that this Lord is different than what I might've assumed because he so thoroughly identifies with his people that to persecute Mm -hmm. them is to wage war against him. So that's a historical reason why I think it is so uh, tied to Paul's literature. Although I don't think Paul is the only one that's advancing it. The high priestly prayer is unintelligible apart from uh, uh, understanding that Christ is making an appeal for fellowship with God the Father in the same way that God the Son shares. So the high priestly prayer is colored by the doctrine of union with Christ, advanced by Jesus, his very self. But In the letters of Paul is where the doctrine of union with Christ is really shining forth in God's word. And the use of this preposition, although it seems insignificant, and in is not the only one Mm -hmm. that matters, although it is probably the central one that does. In, with, through, those would be the three big ones. But just listen to Ephesians 1, 3 through uh, 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We just covered election a few episodes ago. What is Paul saying in verse four of Ephesians one? God chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. So where does our election happen? It happens in Christ Jesus. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ Christ in Him, things in heaven and things on earth, and this is like a snapshot. It is mm-hmm. Ephesians far and away has the most mentions of the doctrine of the union with Christ and prepositions, but all of Paul's letters are going to showcase this as well. Romans six one through eleven is another classic passage for this. But Galatians
1: two twenty, it's no on Galatians 2 20 for Christ yeah. who lives in in me now. I'm going to ask another question because
2: this is this feels good,
1: Jen. We've done a few hundred episodes and I feel like I'm always yeah. in the hot seat answering questions. I feel like we should turn oh, the yeah, table. I've
0: got some questions too, but you take your time.
1: Okay, but here, here's mine. Kyle, uh, in a, the cultural context that we find ourselves in today, though it might not always be true, it hasn't always been true, is one of radical, kind of hyper-individualism. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: oh, this is my question.
1: Speech mm, yeah. to it. You had your chance.
0: Oh, well, I might have a... Yeah,
1: yeah a little variety. follow. You could ask Let's it better see. in a second. Mm-hmm. Just give okay. me... Each, it's
0: give okay, you it. go ahead, you go ahead.
1: Um... And I realize that maybe not everybody who's listening to this podcast lives in that culture, but kind of in the modern West, we have elevated the idea of autonomy, Mm -hmm. radical individualism, personal Mm -hmm. expression of that individualism as the highest ideal. Yeah, Is it possible to live in this world as an individual, not united to someone else?
2: No, there are only two ways of being in the world to either be in Adam or to be in Christ. This is clear in Romans. Uh, Five is what I'm thinking of in particular. You know, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. There are two fundamental identities in the world. Everything else is a qualification or a caveat on those fundamental identities. And when I mean fundamental identities, I mean ontological identities, meaning that like it is the deepest, most truest thing about any given person that they either belong to Adam or they belong to God in Christ. That is the dynamic. Now that comes in all shapes and sizes, cultures, ethnic histories, languages, uh, men and women. There are a lot of different things that then kind of play itself out, but the two fundamental spiritual identities are in Adam or in Christ Jesus.
1: So there's uh, to overstate it, there's been two people who've lived. Mm-hmm. and you are in one of them.
2: Yeah. Like Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I love Bob Dylan.
0: Mm. Almost as good as Tom Petty. That's a that's a ripoff of Romans 6, but that's fine.
1: Mm. Jen, what's your question?
0: Well, my question is related to that. Um, I was thinking about radical individualism and even individualism in its less radical forms that have been a part of my experience my whole life. <clears throat> Brad can just cut that out, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brad, make sure you leave that in. (laughs) (laughs) Brad's the
0: worst. Love you, Brad. Uh, Anyway, so, you know, individualism has been in the groundwater for, Mm -hmm. you know, the last 40 years at least. And when I think about the messages that I heard growing up in the church, I heard a lot of Colossians 127, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that I was supposed to, I sang, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Mm -hmm. Lord Jesus. And the notion that I grew up with was Christ in me, not me in Christ. Mm. And um, I'm wondering if that isn't a reflection of individualism because um when you speak about being in Christ it's it's not even me in Christ so much as it's us in Christ right like yeah. to be in Christ is to be as you pointed out in the in the story of Paul's conversion um is is really pushing against the notion of uh, a personal salvation story in the way that many of us have understood it
2: i agree and i and I think that's, you're exactly right, Jen. And it's not to say that those passages, the one that Jen mentioned in Colossians or the one JT mentioned in Galatians, Christ in us, that is true. But the reality is, is if the emphasis is on one or the other in the New Testament, it yes. is without question, unequivocally, the emphasis is that we are in Christ Jesus. Now, that yeah. is not to say that those passages are saying something false. They are 100% not. But when we, a mm-hmm. basic. a the rule of biblical hermeneutics is we use the more clear passages to interpret the less clear passages. Sometimes that means dealing with where is the weight of emphasis at and the weight of emphasis is on we are in Jesus and it's important. Okay, please go. Ahead. No, I was
0: going to say that's my question is why then was the emphasis presented to me as the opposite? You know, like I, I literally never heard anyone talk about union cr- with Christ until you. For the most part, or if they were talking about it, I didn't. I didn't have a category for it because I had only ever heard Christ in me. I had not heard m- me or us in Christ. And so, what I'm just wondering, what you think caused that emphasis to be shifted the
2: way that it, it was? Evangelism strategies and revivalism. The emphasis okay. became on a personal decision to for Christ yeah. as opposed to being received into covenant grace uh, by yeah. God in Jesus. So, you, it's very tough to try to. It's a lot easier to say, could you stop right now and invite Christ into your life? Then would you... Uh, receive God's invitation into life in Christ. (laughs) Just like, Mm -hmm. it's just a different thing. And I think that a lot of our evangelism language was predicated on a response in the moment. And that was very easy to then appeal to you. Like you need to make a personal decision for Christ and invite him into your life today because Christ will change your life. Uh, And listen, I'm highly sympathetic to that. I want people to share the gospel and evangelize people and make disciples. I'm pro evangelism. And anyone who knows me will say the same. But I will say that the emphasis in the New Testament is not individualistic. And this is JT and I have had some really good offline conversations about some we're about and armor when, it, online. when it comes to <laughs> you with Christ. Well, I'm getting ahead of it because I thought you were about to, I was waiting for you to uppercut me on this topic. <laughs>
0: hang on. Hang on. You guys have been chatting without me. Yeah. Reed.
2: Yeah. yeah we're probably there's... friends. You know, we <laughs> call back. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, union with Christ is is not merely the believer's identification in Jesus Christ. It is the believer's identification in Christ and incorporation into His body, and any biblically. A faithful definition of union with Christ must hold with it, not merely that the Christian is now identified with Christ Jesus, though that is true and gloriously true, but the believer is also incorporated into the body of all of those who are identified with Christ before God. Mm -hmm. And if we lose incorporation, as a crucial part of how we think about union with Christ, then we'll fall prey to the very same kind of identity rhetoric and ideology that so segments and silos our culture at large, which is I am radically myself and I possess full radical freedom to define who I am. The Christian version of that could be, I am in Christ Jesus and it is me and him and my gifts and all these things should be celebrated. My weaknesses can only be known by Christ because I am in him and I am so irreparably, uniquely, inseparably myself. But that is not actually where the doctrine of union with Christ lies. It's a very 21st century Western way of interpreting it. So, when we talk about union with Christ, and I've been guilty of this in the past, and I've had to really... I, I correct- want you to go
1: back to say what you just said, because I agree with it, but you said it in a technical way, which, which I think our people will understand. But, like, if you were going to say what you just said in a sentence, in light of the current culture moment, what would mm-hmm. you
2: say? I... Union with Christ is not me in Jesus; it's we in Jesus. Good. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. that is union with Christ. Union with Christ is not me in Jesus and I'm just me here, there, and you know, God has redeemed me, and God has saved me. Yes, those things are true, but it's a half-truth, and it's a half-truth with a terrible consequence, which is that we end up having this very segmented, siloed, private understanding of what it means to be in communion with God in Christ, to be in communion with God in Christ is to be both ontologically, meaning in substance, and in practice or experience in communion with all of those past, present, and future in the global and historic church who find themselves by grace through faith in Christ Jesus together. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Akin's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit guide to gospel That's guide to gospel generosity.com.
1: So let's, let's venture out on the ice a little bit further and see if the ice caves in, uh, on this lake that we're walking on, because I understand what people are trying to do when they talk about my identity in Christ. I think it's well-meaning. I think it's it can be helpful, mm-hmm. but I'm going to ask you a question, Kyle, because I think you know where I stand on this broadly. When we use language like that, we're just adopting contemporary cultural forms of speaking of philosophical identities that are outside the bounds of Christian theology in the New Testament, and we're kind of baptizing them, which isn't always a bad thing. Like When we, when we think about some of the early councils and creeds, there's language that's used to help People understand what we're talking about in Christian theology. But when we over individualize and identify ourselves, so like my identity in Christ is these six things, that's foreign to the New Testament, right?
2: The New Testament, well, I think the Bible, let's just say the Bible, sure. including the New Testament. I just mean, union to- with
1: Christ is not in the Old Testament. It's
2: shadowed yes. or prefigured. Yes, that's right. So m- let me, let me. Maybe this is maybe this is the answer to your question maybe it's not. I think that we have good reason to say that by virtue of our union with Christ our distinctions individually are not obliterated they are properly framed and properly situated. Our culture wants to deify our distinctions. The Bible does not want to deify our distinctions. It wants to dignify our distinctions. It's not looking to dismiss them. It is not going to deify them. It will will make them clear. It will properly frame them, properly situate them. But I do think that, JT, one of the big problems has then been that we've imported modern conceptions of identity into what we mean by I am now identified in Christ Jesus. Exactly. And the Bible is not going to let us do that. Literally the passages, like all the things, let's just make it super clear, race and gender in the New Testament. Like if you talk about two things in our cultural moment right now, that people are willing to say, those are two of the most absolutely crucial things about me, 100%, they're absolutely fixed. You cannot possibly understand me apart from understanding these things. The Bible will talk explicitly about how those things are not destroyed or dismissed in Christ, but they're also not given the same status that they were outside of Christ Jesus. So you, like there's neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian nor slave, male nor female. Paul is not obliterating these categories. He's, yeah. like, he's not saying men and women don't exist in Christ. Right. He's just saying their maleness and femaleness in Christ is not the most fundamental thing about them.
1: Yes.
2: Neither is their Jewish or Greek background or their barbarian or Scythian or slave background. He's saying they're not gone, but they're not God. There's something else. You They can now be properly That's a book right there. You just wrote a book. They're not gone,
0: but they're not God. Did you just, is that the first time you ever said that? Or you've been saving that? Or no, where, where that's that just
2: the first, I just thought about it.
1: That Crossway, that's really Lifeway, guy. whoever's yes. listening, yeah. that's a book title right there. I'd read <laughs> oh, that one. That was gosh. good. <laughs> but okay, Kyle, I'm not trying to push, push you for the sake of pushing you. But like, I just think a lot, what you just said, I affirm with zero caveats. I agree wholeheartedly period next chapter of book not gone but god what was it not god but gone (laughs) i i think and most evangelicals uh christians who would identify as born again christians would affirm what you just said however Mm -hmm. there are still lots of christians who would understand salvation as primarily as finding themselves and we both affirm the inward journey and doing deeper work and the, like, th- this is not a matter of either or, but there can be a salvific effect or a salvific language around you be you, find yourself, yes. sure. uh, you know, live your life, YOLO. And, and again, there's the, the things that can be challenging about those kinds of statements or that ideology and mindset is there's some truth to that. Is like God created Kyle Worley and JT English and Jen Wilkin and whoever's listening to this. And I'm not you and you're not me. And it's good for us to understand who we are. But, you know, if we're using the Colossian language of that, that Jen pointed out a minute ago, he also says two chapters later, you died. Right. Mm-hmm. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So, salvation isn't primarily about self-actualization or uh, Mm self-understanding. It's about realizing that older self died, and it's now been hidden with Christ and God. That's union with Christ. And salvation isn't about finding yourself, but losing yourself. It's not about picking up a crown, but picking up a cross and saying, like, I'm actually going to let all of these other things Mm -hmm. go for the sake of knowing Christ, which is exactly what Paul says. But it's it's not just in this race and gender conversation that we say, well, you know, identity politics and all those things matter. Even those who would deny those things make discipleship primarily about finding ourselves. Can you speak to that at all? Whew, well there was Good luck.
2: 25 questions <laughs> in <your laughs> It's okay. Uh, let me, let me Can I give you it. like a lesson in hosting after this? <laughs> yeah, let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it. This is my first <laughs> this this is the why, this, this is the first episode of Host Yeah.
1: This is what it feels Uh, like, bro. You know. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. uh, I guess I'm just trying to frame it as help our listeners understand the difference between dying to self and living with Christ, but also embracing those distinctions that you want to dignify.
2: Well, I think that a crucial part of this is realizing that the promise of self-definition has been a promise that has rung deceptively from the very beginning. Part of Satan's promise three. to Adam Adam yeah. and Eve is self-determination and self-definition. You were created to be a creature. Don't you want to be God? Don't you want to determine who you are? The doctrine of union with Christ is not holding out a fulfillment that the world is holding out because it is promising something qualitatively different. The doctrine of union with Christ says this, if you lose your life, you gain it, right? That's what it says. If you surrender your allegiances to God, he now gets to define who you are and he calls you beloved. I think you have two options and we all have two options as we're born into this world, we can either choose the lie that we can be Lord and self-define and self-determine who we are before God. And we can be lost on that path. Or we can be beloved and we can allow God to determine who we are and to call us by the name that is appropriate to what we are as creatures and who we are now in Christ. And I don't think that the false promise of self-actualization ever comes up delivering what it promises. And union with Christ is certainly not that thing. The doctrine of union with Christ presumes that one has come to a saving faith in Jesus, which means there is a repentance that accompanies that, and that it is a turning away from any other Lord but the Lord Jesus Christ. And the him to whom we have been united by grace through faith is Lord. And that means he gets to tell us who we are. We don't get to tell him, this is who I am. That's good.
0: I think one of the reasons that we saw the de-emphasizing of union with Christ is is because um, the promise of individual expression or autonomy or self-determination is all kind of wrapped in one camp and then therefore union with christ is is seen really for what it is it's an invitation in not into independence but into dependence on god and in interdependence with one another it's like that Star Trek quote, resistance is futile, um, (laughs) assimilate to the Borg or whatever it is. And people think about, they're like, is that what union with Christ means? Do I just get absorbed into the collective and then everything that was unique about me is no longer true and now I'm just this nameless faceless part of something bigger than myself, which is a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be interdependent with one another or to be dependent upon God. The God of the universe who created you distinctly individual didn't do so for the purpose that you would only be an individual. He did so, so that you could be um, connected to him and connected to others. And so I think when we think about union with Christ as, again, becoming fully human the way we were designed to be, not taking something from us that we would have otherwise, which is, that's Eden language, right? Like God is not holding out on us um, or giving us a second best thing. But when we understand that interdependence with one another and dependence on him is what we were built for, And that it does not compromise our individual uh, identities to, to enter into that. That's kind of where you get to it.
2: That's exactly right. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, JT, in light of some of our conversations. I've really been trying to think through this question. And do you know what I keep thinking about? I keep thinking about Luke 14 and Jesus with the parable of the wedding feast. And, and, and you know, I we've, we say this on the show sometimes, guys, we're doing theology in the round here. I've never taught on this yet. It hasn't really been tested. So I just, but this is something I've been thinking about. When Jesus tells the parable, and I'm not going to tell the whole thing, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but basically you understand when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, take the lower seat, right? Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Take the lower seat. Why? Because he invited you. He might say, Hey, give, you know, give this place to this person. If you take the higher seat, somebody more distinguished might come along and you have to then move down the table. So Jesus is saying this and he's, what is his point? Verse 11 for everyone who exalts himself. Will where where be are hum-. you Kyle? I'm in Luke 14, Jesus, the parable of the wedding feast. And, when he tells the parable, the point, the takeaway in verse 11 for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I think when it comes to our differences and our distinctions, and I'm talking about those differences and distinctions that are not unrighteous, because we've got to table those, those have to go away. I think that our culture wants to say, magnify yourself with all of your differences and your distinctions. And when they tell us to do that, the promise is, if you do that, do you know what you'll find? You'll find belovedness. You'll find embrace. You'll find solidarity. If you magnify your utter distinctiveness and become the fully realized, self-actualized you, indescribably, unspeakably you, then and only then will you be authentically known and loved. But I actually think this passage is an indication that in Christ, when we're brought into union, we lay ourselves down. We take the lowest seat at the identity table and we say, you know what? I am somebody who wants to humble myself. I don't want to look at all my differences and distinctiveness and giftings and all of the things that are unique to me and say, these are the most important things about me, or they should be the most important things about me to you. And what God does in that moment is he begins to help us learn how to appreciate and treasure and celebrate, I might say, and love the distinctive ways that he's wired us because we have now humbled ourselves to a place where he can now help us reframe them and resituate those differences. I think that the, the question here is not, are, are our differences meaningful? They're, they are meaningful. They're just not the most meaningful thing. And when we come to God by grace through faith in Christ, he asks us, you have to lay your whole life down you have to surrender all your loyalties, all your allegiances, because I'm fundamentally going to change you. And if we're willing to do that, we actually find in the laying down of everything that we thought made us unique, we find God's beloved estate in Christ. And in that place, those distinctions are now properly framed in a new and healthy way that actually is what we were meant to live in. I think that's that's a that's a little bit of improvisation, but I've been playing around with that idea um, because I do think it's it's significant. We don't want to talk about our differences being obliterated, but we have to get away from thinking that our differences are going to be the thing that is most significant about us. It's not, and the Bible is really, really clear about it. Oh, man.
1: This is one of those moments where you're like, do, we, do I talk about it? Do we, do we not talk about it? Because I agree with everything you just said, uh, and this is, again, we're truly doing theology in the round here. One of the things that I want to value is diversity. Diversity is important. And diversity helps us know each other, understand each other. But diversity itself is is increasingly trumpeted as the highest value. And it sounds like what you're saying, Kyle, is like diversity matters. And we, this is the podcast we just did. Men and women matter. That's diversity. And we want to say that those distinctions are important. There's sameness and image-bearing Diversity in, in in ontology in terms of physicality and, and biology, but diversity truly finds its highest value not just in diversity but in union of in in the midst of our diversity, union with Christ. Yes, right. That's Revelation chapter five, or as we think about the end of our last yep. season, Romans chapter sixteen. It's not inherently virtuous that Phoebe is there or that Cortus is there or that Tertius and Gaius. Are there, uh, those are are Erastus, the city, there's a diverse community, which is beautiful. But the thing that makes it most beautiful is that those distinguishing features that would have most um, identified those brothers and sisters in the world being male or female or being Roman or Jew or being a slave or being a city treasurer, all of those things have come under the union with Christ, which is what makes that community Virtuous. It, would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. I, but yet, yes, with this caveat, homogeneity isn't somehow good and beautiful as an end and of itself. Diversity as an end and of itself is not just good and beautiful. Right. The Bible is not saying that uniformity is the goal, nor is it saying that diversity is the goal. It's saying that unity and union with Christ is the goal. Yes, I agree with that. The goal is not uniformity. The goal is not diversity. The goal is unity. And then anybody
1: can be in union with Christ.
2: Anybody, regardless of past, present, future, language, background,
0: male, female, Greek, male, female, socioeconomic status.
2: Yep, yep. And those differences aren't obliterated there. They're brought into a proper frame.
1: We're getting in some, I mean, treacherous waters a little bit here. Uh, that's why Jen's not saying anything. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that why? <laughs> uh,
1: but, but like, I think it's important this podcast, like we're, again, we're learning. It's entirely possible that one of you is going to reach out to us and say, oh yeah, man, maybe we should have said that a little bit differently. But I just get the sense that we are deifying or um, making discipleship a function of the current cultural conversation and finding what we want the Bible to say so that we can say the same thing. Yeah. And Kyle, what I found so helpful about what you're saying, and this is not a new thing to Christianity. I mean, for the last 2,000 years, Christians have struggled about finding ways to to say things meaningful to the culture without saying what the culture is saying. Like, Mm -hmm. that's hard. That's just a really, that's contextualization. And what I find so helpful about how you just framed that is we aren't looking to homogenize mm-hmm. and we aren't looking to diversify. We're looking to find union with Christ in the midst of our ontological distinctions. Yeah. And I think the the ontological, some of those things aren't distinguished in terms of image pairing, but like male, female, young, old, those kinds of things that would we would say, in the world, those things like I have to fill a paper out that says that I'm 64 that says that I'm 18 or that says that I'm male or says that I'm female. Those things are true about us Mm -hmm. and they should be celebrated and they should be things that we would say like, this is just who I am. It's who God's created me to be in this season. But I I loved your language, Kyle. We don't deify those things.
2: We- No, we can't.
1: We dignify them. We dignify young and old, male and female, and every other distinction while at the same time we say in, the, in the, the, the virtue of union with Christ isn't that we're homogenized and all made the same. It's that in the midst of our distinctions, we're invited to follow the Messiah, the Savior. Yeah, that's right. Man. All right, Kyle, I got another question for you. This is—I didn't even know I was going to host this episode, but here we are. Oh, man. Uh, why? Well, if it'll, be a, to, it'll
2: be the last time, brother. Yeah,
1: there's no, no <laughs> doubt about that. How is union with Christ different from communion with God?
2: Yeah. Union with Christ is the unbreakable, unshakable reception of all of God's saving benefits. Communion with God is the enjoyment of those things. And it is shakable and it is breakable. Union with Christ is the unbreakable relationship with God. Communion with God is the fellowship with God. And it is you can disrupt it. You can't, you can't disrupt or deepen your union in, with Christ can. It's it, it is held by Jesus for his people. It so is received I, by grace through faith. But you I, can disrupt and deepen your communion with God.
1: If I came to you and your um, I'm a member at Mosaic or someone who's attending and I say I don't feel the Lord's presence in my life. I'm not enjoying communion with him. Like I'm not going to Bible study, I'm not like I I don't know. I just I feel kind of cold in my relationship with God. Give me how those two categories would help you counsel someone in
2: my situation. Well, I would probably retrace their steps and say, um, have you surrendered your life uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ by believing in your Mm -hmm. heart and confessing in your mouth? And if they were like, yes, I would say, okay, great. Well, on that foundation, our feelings are going to have peaks and valleys. Has there been a time in your life where you experienced holy desires for fellowship with God and his people, uh, 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 the the reading of his word, the nearness of the spirit, the comfort and conviction of the Holy Spirit? Um, Have you experienced disdain for sin and evil things? And if they were like, yes, but I'm not right now, I would say, you know what? Our communion with God, our fellowship with God, it can be disrupted, and it can also be deepened. It can be disrupted or deepened by the circumstances of life. It can be disrupted by the frailties of the flesh. It can be disrupted by sin in many forms. It can be disrupted by spiritual attack. And I know that the foundation feels shaky for you right now, Mm -hmm. but the foundation is as solid as it's ever been, not because your faith is really strong, but because Christ's faithfulness is forever strong. That's right. And so on that foundation of his faithfulness, let's talk about what steps we can take to try to deepen your felt experience of all that God has secured for you in Jesus.
1: That's so good. Uh, you... Last year, I mean, you've taught on this in the training program at at uh, TVC for a long time. You, you taught at the Institute last year. You'll be here in a few weeks for Storyline to teach it again. And I, I got to tell you, brother, this is one of the things that I find most helpful in that lesson is distinguishing our felt communion with God, like what we're experiencing in our relationship with Him, mm-hmm. and that we often mistake that with union with Christ. And I just, I love it when you teach on this because— Uh, and so maybe if you're listening, you're driving, you're thinking through all these things, like just to make it really simple is that what Kyle's saying is, and it's, it's what the new Testament is saying is that your union with Christ is immovable, unshakable and inseparable. You've been placed in him. If you've placed your faith in Christ and the spirit is in you, regardless of how much Bible study you do or what you feel after you leave home group or that prayer gathering, but that communion with Christ, if you're saying, I'm not... I'm not really reading my Bible. I'm not enjoying fellowship. I'm not going to church. I'm forsaking the gathering. You might be feeling that communion kind of disintegrating a little bit. And those two things, is is the middle of that is assurance of salvation, is what union with Christ offers us is an assurance of being in him forever, freely forgiven. Just with him, yeah, we're in him, mm-hmm. and this communion is going to go up and down. That's progressive sanctification over the course of our yep. lives. That's relational, but union isn't relational. It's ontological and fundamental.
2: That's that's exactly right. And um, I don't know that Jen knows this, but I can remember when I sat down to really with a yellow legal pad. That's what I used to do my like theological thinking with. I can remember <laughs> when I sat down to do this. It was probably somewhere. 2009 to 2012 time frame and I had had a class with Sinclair Ferguson at the school that I was at where he had taught on the doctrine of union with Christ it was a pivotal groundbreaking moment for me that was of incredible significance for me personally and for my ministry fast forward and I'm reading some blogs being exchanged online about the substance of Christian obedience and its relationship okay. to grace And Jen was writing some of these blogs. And I was really trying to think through how do we communicate obedience? How do we communicate disobedience? How do we communicate holiness? if we believe in salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And as I was trying to think through that, I thought about union and fellowship. And then I started moving towards these these, uh, categories of union and communion. Because I do think that sometimes in the kind of gospel-forward, gospel-centered community, there's been a reluctance to say, you know what? You can actually— really disrupt your relationship with God through disobedience. And you know what? There is forgiveness, but you shouldn't disobey. Why shouldn't I disobey? Why should I obey? Why is it okay to say we should want Christians to obey God? It's a good thing for them to obey God because it means that their enjoyment of God's benefits can be deepened. That's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I really, uh, I think that it is very important it is very important. And JT, do you think you can land us out of here? We've gone There's far no way. I'm
1: not a professional podcast time. host. You
2: are. Well, you got to do great. this. Well, that's great. Well, I'll take I'll take the mic. You just say grace and peace. Let's get ready yeah, to rumble or something like that. Is that what That's <laughs> what I'll do. Well, listen, JT, thank you for taking over. Thank you guys. I didn't mean to do I that. I love this that topic. Was fun, though.
1: Well, that was, was I yeah.
2: I'm glad you did. Uh, if yeah. you want to find more about Knowing Faith, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, leave us a review, drop a question. Uh, an Apple podcast. We'll consider it for a future Q&A episode. Uh, we're going to keep uh, journeying this season together, but you should check out our sister show, Starting Place, with Elizabeth Woodson doing fantastic work on the Train the Church Network. Go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace.